It's very, very appropriate this time of the year on the calendar as we head towards Easter and the celebration of the power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and that gives us new life today. It's very appropriate that we think about for a few weeks the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ and the cost of that Christ and what it means for our lives today. In, um, in the next few weeks, we're going to take that journey together and head towards the cross. And remembering that it is a, a great symbol of victory, but it's also a great symbol to us of the, the depth of God's love and the amount of grace, undeserved favor that he gives to us. In the story of Jesus is told by the gospel writer Mark. He begins his gospel just moving fast-paced. Mark does not start at the account of Jesus' birth. He starts immediately into the, the life and ministry of Jesus in that period of, of only about three years where Jesus took off into the, into the towns and villages and the, and the cities and began to, began to minister to people and began to teach and to preach and to heal. He heals blind people. He heals deaf people. He heals people that are crippled. He, he heals... Uh, people that have been ostracized from society because of conditions and problems that they have. He, he brings people close. He, he feeds thousands of people with just a basket of food and does that more than once. He's just doing all these miracles, and Mark just lists one after another after another. It's, a, it's an action-filled gospel. But he comes to a place in what we have is near the end of our eighth chapter of his gospel. He comes to a turning point. Maybe even you could call it like a, a hinge point in his gospel. And where that comes is, is, is this moment when, when Jesus looks to his disciples and he asks them a couple of crucial questions. We find it in, in Mark chapter 8. He asks them a couple of crucial questions. Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 27. It says, Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. And as they were walking along, he asked them, Who do people say I am? Well, they replied, um, Some say you're John the Baptist. Remember, John had been killed by now. Some say you're Elijah, one of their great prophets. And others say you're one of the other many prophets. And then Jesus looked at them and he asked them, uh, who do you say I am? Not what other people say, but who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah. And in Matthew's account of this moment, in Matthew's gospel, he has Peter replying, you are the Christ, the anointed one, the son of the living God. It's extremely important for the disciples to answer these questions, and especially that second one. It's extremely important to get Jesus' identity correct. That's important for us today. What we believe about who Jesus is could not be more important. It's, it's extremely important today that, that you don't just believe that he was an important religious figure that he was a, just a good teacher, just somebody who gave a lot of good moral lessons, 
that he was not just another one of the religious figures or prophets that have come along down through the centuries. It's extremely important that we believe more than that and that we would make the confession that Peter made that day. I want you to know this. It wasn't, it wasn't that easy for Peter to do that. Peter had not grown up being taught that like most of us have. And it was not obvious that Jesus was the Messiah because the Messiah they were looking for was not somebody who was healing the sick, not somebody who was teaching new truth, not somebody who was talking about the difference that God would make in their daily life in terms of how they treated others. They were looking for somebody to deliver them from their oppressors. And even though Jesus had healed the sick and the blind, and he'd raised a young girl to life, and even though Jesus had fed 4,000 people out of a little basket, they were still under pagan Roman domination. His people were still under oppression. So it wasn't obvious that he was the Messiah because that was the kind of Messiah they were expecting and hoping for. And so Peter's confession that you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, which means anointed one, that was crucial because Peter was making a claim that Jesus uniquely... And you know... We, we throw the word unique around a lot, like this is unique, that's unique, but unique means that it's totally to itself, completely alone. Peter's confession here was making the claim that Jesus alone brought the hope of God's promise of salvation. Now, it's interesting to look at Jesus' response to this. He affirms it. He affirms it in, in Matthew's gospel. Matthew has in, in Matthew chapter 16, Matthew has him affirming it a little bit more. He says, well, blessed are you, uh, Simon, son of John, because you didn't learn this by flesh and blood. The Spirit of God revealed this to you. That's how you could know and say that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. Because Jesus had not been walking around telling them that he was the Son of God. He hadn't done that up to this point. Jesus affirms Peter's confession. And if we were to, if, as we've sung this morning, you are great, you are good, you, you are Lord, he would affirm that. But Jesus quickly moves on to something else. And, and look in verse 31. Jesus quickly moves on. It says this, Then Jesus began. This is the first time that Jesus begins to tell them about the things that are going to take place. That's why I said this is a turning point. It says, Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. To which Peter quickly responded, and Jesus is speaking very, very frankly, very openly, not in coded language, spoken openly about this. And it says in verse 32 that Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. Some translations say rebuke, which means to correct. Peter took Jesus aside 
and began to correct him for saying such things. How much nerve do you think it takes to correct God? Now look, this is Peter who just, just by, by discernment of the Spirit of God, just said, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the one. And then Jesus began to talk about what that actually meant. And Peter pulled him off to the side and said, uh, look, I know you're the Christ and all, but you're getting carried away here. What, what are you talking about? takes a lot of nerve to do that, doesn't it? Who would do that? You would never do that to God, would you? You would never correct God. You would never, rep, you would never try to set God straight, would you? <laughs> I mean, I certainly never, ever. I mean, you would never, ever suggest that Jesus was coming on a little too strong. Would you? I mean, you would, never, you would never in any way think or maybe just in your head say, Jesus, you're asking for too much. Now, it's extremely important. I don't mean to belittle Peter's confession at all. It's important for us to know what we believe and to state it right. And the first thing we've got to get right is what we believe about Jesus Christ. But as important as it is, a disciple, a follower of Jesus, must do more than get Jesus' title right. A disciple's got to do more than just get Jesus' title right. I want to stress it again. It's really important to get that correct. It's important to have his identity Correct. Speaking about correct identity, it makes me uh, think about something that happened a few months ago. Julie and I were uh, headed out of town to go uh, visit some friends in Oklahoma. And uh, we um, left, you know, we live out in, in Cyprus and Coles Crossing area, and we got on 290 and I like, when I'm going to Oklahoma, I try to avoid I-45 because it, it just always seems so crowded. And Highway 6 is all four lanes now and all that, so go through Waco up through Fort Worth. That's more detail than you needed to know. But So we're headed out, and we get, we get off 290, and we're on Highway 6, just a little ways outside College Station. And we're doing well. Our typical travel arrangements are I drive, listen to music or, or sports or news talk, and Julie either sleeps or reads a book and lets me know that if I need anything, she's there. That's, that's kind of our typical travel arrangement. So we've, we're already fully into that mode. I've got the cruise control set, and we're going along, and um, we pass a uh, Texas State Highway Patrol car. And you know, you know what the, we all know that feeling. And, and, and then immediately you're looking at that rear view, is he, is he coming, is he coming, is he coming? Yeah, he's coming. <laughs> Maybe it's not for me. Maybe it's not for me. I'll just get over in the right lane, slow down. Maybe it's not. Yeah, it's for me. <laughs> so we pull over, and a, a young, a young, uh, they're all clean cut, but a, a young highway patrolman uh, gets out, comes to uh, the passenger side window, 
I've already got, already got the insurance and driver's license out. And he steps up, and then a, a, another highway patrolman steps behind him who's about a head taller. And um, the first one begins to uh, ask for license registration. I hand it to him. He says, um, uh, sir, I, I pulled you over uh, for excessive speed. And um, just want you to know I'm going to give you a warning for that. Which immediately the, the warning word was kind of encouraging. You know what I mean? He didn't say ticket or citation. He said a warning. I'm going to give you for that. And, and so uh, he said, we'll be back in a moment. And they, they went back to the car. And, um, you know, we've, I, was, I was speaking hopefully to Julie. Did you hear him say warning? I heard him say warning. Did you hear him say warning? Maybe, you know, and did you, you see the, he's young, the guy behind, maybe he's training. Maybe, maybe they're just doing a lot of stops. And uh, he came back and he said, uh, Mr. Mr., uh, Mr. Johnson, I'm handing you this, uh, this warning for speeding. And uh, I said, oh, yes, sir. Uh, thank you, sir. Um, and then I said, um, how fast did you, did you have me going? And he said, uh, I had you doing 79 in, in a 70. To which at that point, I'm glad I don't always verbalize everything I'm thinking because I immediately thought, well, then my cruise control is accurate. Um, I'm, I'm glad I didn't say that. The warning might have gone up a level. Uh, but he handed that, he handed that uh, warning to us and said, uh, slow it down and have a good trip. And they walked back uh, to their vehicle. And then I, I took the, uh, the warning and began to look at it. And my name wasn't on it anywhere. I mean, the, the name of the person on there, I don't even remember who, what name it was, but it wasn't even close to my name. And, and the height was listed as 6'1", and, you know, whatever, and I'm, I'm a few inches short of that. And, and, and I got to looking at that, and, it's, you know, and looking closely, and I looked at the, the car identification was correct, but my driver's license number was off by one, by one number. He, well, he inverted two numbers. And when he entered that, it came up with somebody completely different than me, which I was glad that it was a warning, but my thought was, well, if this was actually a ticket, I could go to court and say, this is obviously not me. <laughs> I mean, you can clearly see that it's a case of mistaken identity. It is extremely important that we get Jesus' identity right that we know and understand that He alone is the full representation of Almighty God. That He alone can provide us with salvation that makes the eternal difference for us. But Jesus does not stop with just our getting our beliefs right. He doesn't stop there. It's not enough to just correctly know and say who He is. Jesus makes demands. We see it clearly. Let's keep looking right here at what Jesus said. Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 34. He says this, Then calling the crowd to join His disciples, He said these words, If any of you wants to be My follower... 
you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus makes demands. And you'll notice here that instead of just speaking just to the 12 disciples that we later call apostles, instead of just those 12 special people that we name churches and buildings and books in the Bible and other things after, instead of just those, he turns to the whole crowd, to everybody. In other words, he turns to you and me today and says, first, you need to turn from your selfish ways. The word turn is the same as the word repent. You need to turn away from your self-promoting, selfish concerns, selfish ambition. You need to turn from your agenda and take up the way of selfless love and self-giving, the way of Jesus. Jesus was saying here, I am not calling you to fit me in to your life. He's not looking for part-time help. He's not looking for just somebody to take him on as an extracurricular activity, another addition in your life. You say, Jesus... I think you're, you're awesome. I really like you. Jesus, I think you're so cool. I mean, some of the stuff you did, some of the things you've said, Jesus, I really like you, Jesus. In fact, I like you so much, I think you're so cool, I'm going to add you to my list of people and things that I like a lot. And Jesus, I want you to know I mean, I'm available for you on Sundays. Well, I mean, at least Sunday mornings. Um, maybe Thursdays I'm available. Jesus, I'll give you, a, I'll give you a one, a one Saturday a month. I'll give up that. And, and maybe in the summer I'll give you a full week. Unless, you know, um, well, I mean, unless I have a headache or, you know, or or someone gives me front row seats, tickets to the front row, I mean. Or unless, you know, it's just really been a hard, tough week. Or unless not enough of my friends are going your way, then it'd be really hard for me to go your way because, you know, I need to be. And so, I mean, but I like you a lot. And I believe in who you are. Jesus says, deny yourself. Turn from your selfish ways. And then he says, take up your cross. Take up your cross. This is a, a common statement and theme in, in the world of Christianity. 
for Jesus to say, take up your cross. What does that mean? The cross, as we saw in a video earlier today, is, it means lots of things. It's used in lots of ways. It's a fashion accessory. Many of you probably are wearing crosses today, and I would say there's nothing wrong with that. That's cool. The cross is a decoration for military heroism, like uh, the silver cross, for example, which is something that we all should give great respect to. Anybody who's, who's sacrificed as much as, as somebody serving their country and putting himself in harm's way and being wounded and being brave and courageous and all of that for the sake of our freedoms, I mean, that is something to respect and honor and admire. And if they receive a cross for that, it's a good thing. Some people think that to take up your cross means this the stuff that you have in your life, like everyday life, like if you're sick, you got some kind of, some kind of bodily affliction, if you got a family problem and, and struggles in your family and, and those kind of things, that's, that's taking up your cross. Well, the truth is, Jesus often delivers us from those things. And He makes a point to in his gospel, to, to tell us about the times when he healed people and freed people from those things. He didn't encourage them to continue to carry them. Now, wearing a cross of any kind, whether just for fashion or for, for honor or... And then carrying around the daily stuff of life and thinking that's your cross to bear... That's not the cross Jesus is talking about taking up. He's talking about taking up the cross that represents the opposition we're going to face if we faithfully obey Him and walk with Him. Taking up your cross means giving your obedience to Him. It's not referring to the general aches and pains of life. That's not what Jesus means here. And that doesn't mean we're callous to that or He is. And I'm sorry for the struggles that you have. But if you're sick today, if you're hurting because of family issues and those kind of things and misunderstandings, I'm sorry about that. God wants to help you with those things. But that's not what your cross is in terms of following Jesus. It's obeying Him. Giving Him your obedience. It's not referring to wearing a cross or waving a cross. It's about carrying whatever comes with belonging to Him. Jesus says, turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and then His third demand is to follow Me. Follow Him on His way. You know, the, there was uh, maybe the most popular board game we've ever had in our country was Monopoly. And the makers of that game, the Parker Brothers, back in the 50s, they came out with a, uh, with a game kind of aimed at, at, at Christian families. And the, the name of that game was Going to Jerusalem. 
And instead of having a top hat or a race car or an iron or the little dog or whatever it is as your, as your moving piece for the game of Monopoly, instead they had little disciple-looking characters, you know, somebody with a, a little plastic guy with a robe and a beard and some sandals and, you know, like a shepherd staff or something. And in order to move across the board, you, you looked up answers to questions in a, in a little black New Testament that they provided in the board game. And uh, along the way, you'd stop in places like Bethlehem and the Mount of Olives and Bethsaida and Capernaum and these other places, the, the Sea of Galilee and Nazareth and Bethany. And if you rolled the dice well, you went all the way to the triumphal entry in Jerusalem. But you never got to the crucifixion. There were no demons or angry Pharisees or betraying disciples. You just made your way around through all the nice stories. The game was designed to be a safe adventure, perfectly suited for a nice Christian people. I say, well, what's, what's so bad about that, Pastor? What's wrong with that? I don't know if there's anything wrong with it. It's kind of ironic. Think about ourselves leaning over a card table, juggling dice in our hand, moving around little plastic disciples with a little New Testament you got in a box. I mean, that just seems kind of strange when Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you, you might want to change your expectations. You might want to alter your lifestyle because I'm calling you Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus is actually looking for people who will go his way. He's not looking to sign up admirers, he wants followers. N.T. Wright says it this way following Jesus is more or less. Mark's definition of what being a Christian means. And Jesus is not leading us on a pleasant afternoon hike, but on a walk into danger and risk. Or did we suppose that the kingdom of God would mean merely a few adjustments in our ordinary lives? You know, what, what's happened here this morning and leading up to this time? I, I think Jesus loves our worship. I really do. He loves our songs. He loves our prayers and our praise and our desire to get closer to Him, to know Him. He, he, he loves our confessions of faith. He really does. But He calls us to follow Him. To be obedient to Him when we walk out of these doors.
I'm convicted by the, the words that Thomas Akempis wrote over 500 years ago in his book, The Imitation of Christ. It seems so relevant, what he said then to, to now. He said this, Jesus today has many who love his heavenly kingdom, but few who carry his cross. Many who yearn for comfort, few who long for distress. Plenty of people he finds to share his banquet, few to share his fast. Everyone desires to take part in his rejoicing, but few are willing to suffer anything for his sake. There are many that follow Jesus as far as breaking of the bread, few as far as drinking the cup of suffering. Many that revere his morality, few that follow him in the indignity of his cross. Many that love Jesus as long as nothing runs counter to them. Many that praise him and bless him as long as they receive comfort from him. But should Jesus hide from them or leave them for a moment, they fall to complaining or become deeply depressed. Those who love Jesus for his own sake, not for the sake of their own comfort, bless him in time of trouble and heartache as much as in their full consolation. Say, Pastor, this is pretty heavy stuff. The cross that Jesus carried was really heavy. So heavy, he buckled under the weight of it. And he's the Son of God who made the wood that they made that cross from. Was it the sheer weight of the cross itself? Yeah, it was partly that and partly the weight of what that cross meant. And he says to us, take up your cross. Follow me. Hey, Pastor, man, um, I'm sure all that's biblical and all that, but I, I, I just can't go that far. I mean, I'm not good enough to do that. I'm, I'm not st strong enough. I don't have a strong enough will, strong enough character. I just... And I've got too much to overcome. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not whatever enough to take up the cross and be that kind of follower of Jesus. I don't know if you noticed in reading the New Testament, but neither were the disciples. I mean, within, within you know, moments of Jesus saying all this, they're, they're fighting and fussing about who's the greatest and who's the best. Who gets to sit next to him? And within, within weeks or months, at one point, they all ran away, afraid. But then Jesus actually carried his cross, the cross on which he died on their behalf 
in our behalf. But by the power of God, he rose again. And then not long after that, he sent his Holy Spirit into their lives and into the church. The same Spirit that is here today to empower us. Those same guys that all got it wrong, that all messed it up, that all, hey Jesus, take it easy. All those guys, the guys that were nowhere around, at least for a while when Jesus was, was suffering and being persecuted and mocked and all of that. And the one who made this great confession is the one who three times with an oath, with swearing, with profanity said, I don't know who the, you're talking about. Those same guys, when the Holy Spirit came into their life, every single one of them took up their cross and the cost of that and poured out their lives. And because of that, we're here right now. And every other church and every other place where people gather and lift up the name of Jesus and know the forgiveness of sins, it's because these guys, because of the Spirit of Christ now in them, had the power to take up their cross. And we have the same Spirit here today. So, whatever your excuse is, whatever your excuse is today for not following Jesus, hey, this is nothing personal against you because it's aimed right back at me, but whatever your excuse is, it's lame. It's not good enough because the Holy Spirit of God same spirit that was present when Jesus Christ poured out his life and, and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven and promised his return, that same spirit that has entered into the life of the church and into the hearts of believers is here today. And Jesus himself said, you will have power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So today, it's awesome if you would be a person who affirms and says, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he rose again. I believe he's the way to salvation. If you affirm that with me today, I thank God for that. But Jesus says, there's something more. Take up your cross. And by the spirit of God, follow me. You bow your heads with me. Hey, listen, as you think about this this serious and heavy and, and powerful word and these demands of Jesus. Just as you think about that for a moment with your head bowed, just let me ask you a couple of questions. What's keeping you from following Jesus? What's keeping you from going His way? What, what's keeping you from being obedient to Him? It's, it's very likely that you know exactly what it is, what that thing is, what those things are. It's likely today that you're, you're pretty aware of what hinders you, what keeps you from being wholeheartedly obedient to Jesus. 
I mean, you know the things that you should be doing that you're not doing. You know the things that, that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing and those things that are hindrances. And I just want to ask you, are they worth it? Is it worth it? Because the good news of the cross is that when we take it up and we follow Jesus, He alone gives forgiveness and lasting peace. And He alone assures us that someday we'll be able to lay it down and take up a crown. Let's stand together. Let's affirm our faith. If you want to bring your prayer card forward, bring it here today. Place it there, believing in Jesus' power to meet the need. If you want to pray, if you want to worship, if you want to respond however Jesus speaks to you by His Spirit today, I hope that you can not only affirm that you believe in Him, but that you can affirm that you'll follow him. May it be so.